You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Time to lock and load. Time to get control. Time to search for soul and start again. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. Before David and I dive into some of these voicemails that you guys have sent in to us so graciously, and we thank you for those. Uh, for those that have not heard on our previous episode that dropped on Saturday, we were graced with the presence of of one Chris Godwin, wide receiver of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We really thank him again for some of his time. Make sure you go back and you check out that episode. Chris gave us some great stuff, talked about his offseason plans, talked about how he felt about Dirk Cutter being fired, Bruce Arians coming in, dives into the the controversial NFC Championship no-call, all kinds of really great stuff on there. So make sure you check out our show with Chris Godwin. But on to today's show. David, we have uh, we have some voicemail questions, do we not? Yeah, we do. Uh, you guys have been great uh, continuing the flow of questions. And it, it's really cool because it gives us, uh, you know, instead of us having to kind of guess what you guys want to hear and, and try to figure it out, you, you just tell us. And, and we, uh, we simply try to deliver and expand as much as we can. Um, I mean, for example, James, we've gotten some, some draft questions and some prospect questions, uh, both here on, in the voicemail and on Twitter. So we've got uh, a couple guests coming on who were at the Senior Bowl last week to uh, to talk with us tomorrow and the following day as well. So yeah, uh, keep it up, guys. We appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get into them. Yeah, it's kind of like what your teachers used to tell you in school. Like if if you have a question, chances are somebody else in the class has the same question. They're just too shy to ask it. Kind of feel that way about Bucks fans or or all sports fans in general. If one person's wondering something. Chances are someone else is wondering the same thing. So, yeah, please continue to call in 813-444-5841 to ask those questions, weigh in on on different topics and all that. But, David, why don't we go ahead and dive into the first voicemail from, I believe, our Autograph Quan Alexander jersey giveaway? Oh, yeah. All right. Hey, James and David. It's Leighton in Tampa, and thanks again for the jersey, even with all of the hassle we went through. I've got a question for you. I was just sitting here thinking. Um, when it comes to drafts, I know, David, you're not going to do a mock draft till probably the end of February. Um, but my mock draft question is this. What is your opinion on a lot of these mock drafts? Um, my, my meaning is this. Um, you guys, of course, follow the Bucks and follow specific teams. I think you're more in tune um, to what the Bucks or whatever team, you know, their fault they, they primarily write for will do, whereas a lot of the national media, a Bucky Brooks, uh, Greg Rosenthal, what have you, it's looking nationally, and not to say their opinion is bad or anything, but sometimes some of the mocks that I see, um, especially from the national um, media, don't make sense when it comes to, in this case, the Bucks. So anyway, that's my question for you guys. What do you think um, about that situation? Is it just maybe because they're just looking at it from such a larger level that, you know, they can't really zero in properly for teams, whereas guys like you, 
you know, the Luke Easterlings, the Trevor Sycamores and things, since they're more focused, they, they have a better um, idea of what, you know, the team will do. Anyway, as always, go Bucks. Thanks for what you do. Have a great day. All right, Leighton, thank you for the call. And, and yes, uh, very glad that you finally got that jersey after some issues with the uh, United States Postal Service that we won't we won't dive into. But, yes, glad that you finally have that in hand. It was my fault. It's okay to say it. It was it was not your fault. You know, maybe next time just hang on to the receipt so you have the tracking numbers. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But as far as the mock drafts are concerned – Here's here's kind of my take on it. First off, I ignore pretty much all mock drafts that occur before free agency opens up. Because you could see a team that is mocked to get this position or this position or, or what have you, and then it gets addressed in free agency and there's no longer that need to draft it. Um, the other thing that I, I remind myself of, because I've, you know, People will send us mock drafts. We talk about it in our Bucks Nation group chat and all that, you know, where we'll see this pick. Like, what in the world is this person thinking? Like, uh, David, who was, was it? Was it Daniel Jeremiah that had the Bucks taking a running back fifth? Yeah. Here's what I'll say about that. I remind myself that a few years ago, very mm-hmm. few short years ago, mm-hmm. Daniel Jeremiah and Matt Miller were two of the earliest people to mock OJ Howard to the Bucks. And this was after Cameron Bray led the NFL in touchdown receptions by tight ends. And I remember calling out Matt Miller on Twitter about like, mm-hmm. really? Like are, are <laughs> why on earth would they spend a first round pick on a tight end when the tight end that they just had had more touchdowns than anyone else in that position? It didn't make any sense to me. To me, you know, that was the, you know, of course, the Dalvin Cook year, but that was the pick that made sense to me. Um, We now see why O.J. Howard was that pick, because as long as he stops getting hurt, which is just so frustrating, and I know it's it's kind of these fluky freak injuries, and and by the time he, he, you know, is designated to the IR or whatever the season's been over anyway, but he is he has the makings to be an elite tight end in this league. We're talking top three. He's that good. He's that talented. You know, the the national writers have their they have their connections around the league. And that's been built over time. And and there's there's people in the organizations that they can reach out to, you know, some organizations more than others, but they can reach out and say, you know, what are you guys thinking of this player? What are you thinking of this player? You know, who are you guys kind of looking at? And they can get some of their inside information. Now, Pewter Report has done a, a, a solid job of of their mock drafts, and you know, they hear things, and you know, they can they can put that to print. So, yeah, I think it's it's a combination of the two. You're gonna, you know, there's gonna be people that cover the specific team that are going to get some information that's good. And they're going to get some information that isn't national writers are going to get some information that's good. And and some that isn't it. it, It's, it goes both ways. The thing to remember when looking at these mock drafts is you're creating scenarios. You know, you don't write mock drafts to try to exactly predict what's going to happen. It's, it's looking at if this player goes here then this team may look to do this, and and you're you kind of have fun with it. Um, you know, when I when I've done mock drafts, very few times that I've done it, I've approached it from the stance of 
what are some of the draft analysts saying that these teams should do? Looking at this team, what would I do? And I try to find a middle ground somewhere. You know, nobody ever goes 32 for 32 in mock drafts of the first round. It just doesn't happen. You could potentially go five for five on the first five picks as long as there's no trades, unless you're really good at predicting those. But as far as national versus local, honestly, at the end of the day, you're kind of you're kind of splitting hairs because it's it's all going to end up you know being from different people's point of views and, and hearing different people's whispers and. You know, you can't, you really have to take every mock draft you see with a grain of salt. Like you said, Leighton, I'm not going to be doing one until the end of February. And the reason for that is I like doing a mock draft before free agency starts because I enjoy seeing the different outlook that I see for each team before free agency versus after free agency. Because that really shows you kind of where the teams really got better and how they improved. And the thing that I like about January mock drafts is that there truly is just so much gut work at like what you're seeing right now is basically Daniel Jeremiah post college football season uh, and any of these guys doing mock drafts but Daniel Jeremiah is the biggest one who who caused a whole lot of ruckus with Josh Jacobs out of Alabama going to the Buccaneers but what you're really seeing is just what DJ thinks about these teams right now and what he would do as the general manager because there's there's really no set game plan for any any team, any general manager right now because you just can't have one. Um, you know they're they're formulating their offseason plans and positions they want to get better at and targeting free agents and so on and so forth. But none of them really have a draft strategy completely cemented cemented yet because you don't know what your team looks like yet. Um, and if you look at if you look at Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft, the first three picks are edge rushers. And then Quinnen Williams goes number four. So when you're Daniel Jeremiah looking at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, looking at where they struggle, look at what they need versus looking at the ta- the talent that's left on the board, the options, and this is where you kind of put on your general manager hat, the options sitting in front of Jason Light because DJ doesn't do trades in these mocks, which those things, trades and mocks just get crazy. So your options at number five, right? And this in this scenario that played out for for Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft are the Buccaneers either take the fourth edge rusher at pick number five. So think about the value you're getting there. Or you take the second interior defensive lineman at pick number five. And it's not the defensive lineman, the interior defensive lineman that you wanted because Quentin Williams is, is kind of the guy that people are talking about. Uh, Ed Oliver is there. If you look at that mock draft, Ed Oliver goes like pick 14 or, or later even. So Jeremiah apparently doesn't have the same stock in Ed Oliver as some people do. And I'm actually kind of with them. I'm not as high on Ed Oliver as some people are right now. So so then you look at the rest of the team. So if we're not going edge and we're not going interior line, where are we going to go? We're going to go secondary. Greedy Williams is not a top five pick. He hasn't been a top five pick for a while now. Uh, the buzz about him early on in the season and everything was was very high. But that's if you've, if you've been paying attention to things, that's definitely fallen off. There's really no cornerbacks that are kind of breaking consistently into the top 10. And you're talking about, again, a top five pick. So when if you're going to draft at five, you got to go get the you, – you really want to go get the best player that's going to serve a position of need for you. And you look at those guys available. Josh Jacobs is it. So in that circumstance, hit him picking Josh Jacobs for the Buccaneers actually makes sense. But that's how you have to break it down. And that's kind of the fun of mock drafts is, is all that. Like – and, and everything we just talked about, that's just the first five picks. 
now you've got the rest of the first round. And if you like to go, I like going second rounds too, um, just because I like looking at more and more players. Um, the biggest thing that I use mock drafts for guys in January is finding out the players that I don't know about yet that I need to go learn about because James and I spent our entire season, you know, covering the bucks as best we can. Uh, as you guys know, we all, we both have day jobs, so we don't, we don't get to do this nine to five Monday through Friday. I try to pay attention as much as I can to the other teams just because I know what I'm going to try to do in the off season, but I'm still behind. So I come through here and I look at a guy like Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle in Mississippi state. Yeah. I, I, he wasn't even on my radar coming into the off season. So when I see him jump on someone's mock draft that high, it does make me look at him and say, Oh man, this kid, this is a top 10 guy. No, what it does is make me pause and say, okay, I need to get some, I need to get some tape on this kid. And I need to find out what other people are saying about him. I need to find out what I think about him first and foremost. And that's the big thing. If you're going to mock draft, the biggest thing I would say is look at these guys before you start reading other people. Because if you're reading what other people are saying, and, and DJ does one sentence summary, so you can read DJ all day long. But before you go like, to the draft network and look up Josh Jacobs, watch him yourself and then say, well, here's what I think the kid can do. Because that's what the scouts are going to deliver to Jason Light is what the kid can do. And then go and compare yourself to someone you respect in depth or a book, Bucky Brooks or Trevor Sikama, or a John Ledyard, or Joe Marino, whoever it is, do yourself a favor. That's how you get smarter as a football fan. And if you really want to get into it, uh, that's that's my recommendation for you. I love mock drafting. And, and for the people who hate mock drafts, it's funny because mock drafts have been going on long before the internet age. General managers have been doing mock drafts in their war rooms and their, with their staffs for, for decades. Oh, yeah. It wasn't until the internet really got hot that mock drafting as we know it in the public today really started to take off and people think it's such a dumb exercise. But general managers do mock drafts so often because at the end of the day, like I said, it's just an exercise in options. Yeah, mm-hmm. and again, it's it's so early in the process. You know, when March 13th at 4 p.m. rolls around and it's it's announced on NFL Network that the Buccaneers' new starting running back is – you know, Kareem Hunt or or Mark Ingram or or whatever, Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft after that is not going to have Josh Jacobs at, at number five. He's going to go somewhere else because eh, I doubt it. That's the crazy thing about it, though. It could because you have to remember, and th- like I said, this is why I love So Peyton Barber's not under contract right now. Uh, right. I believe he's a restricted free agent. So Quiz Rogers not under contract right now. Sean Wilson, like I said, I, I support Sean Wilson, but – I mean, Sean Wilson is nowhere near secured a roster spot next year. You know what I mean? So as of right now, you have one running back on the roster for 2019, and that's Ronald Jones. Uh, and that was part of the justification that DJ gave when he had Jacobs on there is that, you know, the Bucks didn't get anything out of Rojo uh, last year, so they might look to go back and get a different running back. Well, while that's true, and this is part of the tricky part, again, of, of, of mock drafts, uh, we have no idea why that's true. Like, is it we've all speculated about this disconnect between Jason Light's drafts and Dirk Cutter's teams? And is it that Jason Light saw something in Rojo that Dirk Cutter didn't want to use? Or is it that Rojo just couldn't get on get with get with the program? I don't know. But if it's if it's the first one, if it's Jason Light saw a talent in this kid and Dirk Cutter didn't know how to use him or didn't want to use him properly, Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich and, and all those other coaches all have a game plan to use Rojo uh, effectively, then, yeah, I agree. Then, I mean, then most likely a running back isn't going to be your top priority, even if you don't have a cream hunt. But even if you have a cream hunt, 
we don't know how this whole thing is going to, is going to unwind. I mean, uh, cream hunt, whoever he signs with can end up missing six weeks uh, of the season next year. If you're looking to turn a team around, you're looking to win now, right? As coach Arian said, are you really going to turn up a talent that you think or turn on, turn, uh, turn away a talent that you really think can help your team turn it around right now? Or are you going to stack your deck and you've got Rojo who you think was misused and you've got cream hunt who was one of the best who got suspended, but are you gonna are you gonna pass up that insurance policy? Because by that time, if he comes back, then that's a full year that dude hasn't been playing football. So who knows what he's gonna be doing? What kind of shape he's gonna be in? So let's hedge our bets. And at a worst case scenario, we've got Jacobs, we've got Rojo, and if we get Kareem Hunt back and he's great, then guess what? In 2019 or 2020, we've got leverage and we've got trading pieces and we've got we've got players we can move around to do what we need to do and fill some other gaps if we need to. Oh, and by the way. Two of those running backs are on rookie deals, and we got Kareem Hunt cheap because he was in the bargain bin. You know what I mean? So that so that's one option that could ha- happen. Will it happen? I don't know. Anyway, I said I was done. Now I'm actually done. <laughs> All right. Well, before um, before we uh, get too close to the end of the clock, why don't we go ahead and get over to another <laughs> voicemail? <laughs> Leighton got me going. What's up, guys? This is Matt from Morvin, Georgia. I just wanted to call in and share some thoughts I've been having and get your take on a couple of reoccurring themes I've heard around the Bucks podcast world. The first one is when it when people are talking about whether or not we should re-sign Quan Alexander. You know, they like to list his attributes, like his charisma, and you know how much he means to the to the defense, and you know the energy he brings to the team. But then, kind of in a hushed tone, like they've got some great epiphany, they they say, "But the defense got better without it." Well, well, no crap. I mean, I I don't believe that the 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 entire defense getting better had anything to do with Quan Alexander being out and and everything to do with Mike Smith getting fired, but. You know, I don't understand why the people keep throwing that little tidbit on Quan that way. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, the other thing that's kind of been bugging me is when they're talking about whether or not we should keep um, Deshaun Jackson. Um, they, you know, they talk about all the locker room issues and the attitude problems and the problems with the with the coaches, but then almost in the same way, in in a hushed tone, they kind of are speaking, you know, along the lines of. But look how the offense struggled when when Deshaun got injured. But to me, where the offense started struggling was when o, was when OJ Howard got injured, and I feel like that had more to do than Deshaun Jackson being out. I mean, don't get me wrong; I'm, I'm sure Deshaun does help stretch the defense, but I feel like OJ Howard had a lot more to do with that. But anyway, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on on those two issues, and uh, and go Bucks. All right, Matt. Appreciate the phone call. Um, yeah, to touch on your first point, yeah, absolutely. It it the the improvement in the defense had nothing to do with Quan being out and everything to do with Duffner taking over. In fact, I'm really disappointed we didn't get to see Duffner work more with Quan as the defensive coordinator. I mean, obviously he was his linebackers coach, but yeah, you, know, you saw you saw the way that he started utilizing those linebackers and the way he was blitzing. And I would have liked to have seen Quan be involved in that a little bit more. I mean we even had Carmen Vitale on not too long ago, and she said if if Quan doesn't blow out his knee, he's absolutely one of these top twenty available free agents. So, you know, Quan Quan's a phenomenal player. He is. Does he have room to grow? Sure. Does he still have his issues? Absolutely. 
but that doesn't take away from the fact that this defense is more talented with him than without him. Um, you know, and really the same goes for, for the other side of the ball. If you're going to tell me right now that I have a choice between Deshaun Jackson and OJ Howard, I'm taking OJ Howard a hundred times out of a hundred and twice on Sunday. You know, I don't, I don't think there's any, any comparison. Deshaun Jackson is good at what he does, but it, he, he doesn't work well in Tampa. Yeah, I've I've said my piece on Djax. I I have no problems with him being traded or outright released. You know, there's no there's no penalty for cutting him. Whereas, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, you know, OJ Howard has the makings of a top three tight end in the NFL. You know, if if OJ Howard stays healthy and and he's on the field, you know, the offense for the Buccaneers is that much better. He's a human mismatch. So. Yeah, and, and not that Deshaun isn't, but not to the level that OJ is. He's not as as versatile. You know, his his mismatch is his speed, whereas OJ is his speed, his size, his reliability, his hands. Yeah, he's just he's incredible. So <clears throat> yeah, to to both your points, the defense got better because of Duffner, not the loss of Quan, and the offense is better with OJ. And without Djax, then vice versa. Yeah. So, okay. So the defense's improvement isn't solely because of Mark Duffner uh, in the second half of the season. Um, and the defense definitely didn't get better in spite of Quan Alexander. Like, like losing Quan didn't make the defense better. That's absolutely asinine. Um, so anybody who's saying that is basically just trying to sensationalize something because it's the offseason and they can't think of anything else to talk about. Um, so check it out before Quan Alexander got hurt. Well, counting the game that Quan Alexander got hurt, right? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won three games, lost three games and the rest of the season without Quan Alexander, they won two games. Um, so the team didn't get better. Now the defense, did the defense get better? You could, you could argue that, right? Um, they did give up fewer yards as the season went on. Uh, teams put up fewer points on average as the season went on, Right. So, again, in, in the six games that Quan Alexander appeared in, so, again, counting Cleveland uh, the week that he got injured, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played against four playoff teams. Okay. Uh, three, I'm sorry. Three playoff teams. They, they play against three playoff teams. Turns out the Chicago Bears are actually pretty good. Um, I remember we all kind of looked at the Chicago Bears game and like, wow, how bad does this team just play because they lost to the Bears? Well, it turns out the Bears were all right. Then you look at the game starting after Quan Alexander got got injured. The Buccaneers faced six straight teams that didn't make the postseason. All right, and then they had three games all all year against teams that ended up making the postseason. So they played as many playoff teams before Quan got hurt as they did after Quan got hurt. And Quan got hurt in Week Seven. All right, so that's over half the season, and they played the exact same. And they didn't, and they had a spread and also their crazy crap. So, yes, the defense got better statistically. They got better. And, and don't get me wrong, Duffner did a really good job. He simplified things. And the guys that were struggling, even when Quan was healthy, started playing better. But it had nothing to do with Quan being out that they got better. Been in there, you could argue they would have gotten even better. And, uh, you know, whether they win a game or two more, I don't know. Um, but it, but that's, that's, you know, that's a debate that nobody can really honestly solve. So, no. The defense is not better without Quan. Whether Quan gets re-signed is going to be a factor of two things. 
And one of those things is going to be his health, which the great thing to see as a Buccaneers fan is that he's working out at the facility. Because what that means is that, one, he's not hiding anything, right? Like He's not hiding away from the team, not hiding away from the team doctors or the, or the staff or anything like that. He's working out around the team, showing them what he's telling them, what the doctors are telling them is accurate. And that's, that's, that's great. Um, and then funny. And that's just the business side of things. Because Quan Alexander's got a dollar sign. Uh, his agents have a dollar sign that they want. And the team's got a dollar sign they're willing to give. And that injury plays into that. And Quan's not, not going to want to say, okay, I got hurt, so I'm going to cut this much off of my value. No, he's going to fight for his value, as he should. His agents are going to fight for his value, as they should. And the team is going to say, listen, you were great. You were great for us. We love what you've done. However, your injury scares us. So here's where the number works. And that's all part of the negotiations. It's not greed. Okay, that's what a lot of people are going to call it is greed. It's not greed. It's make it's it's your this is the business side of things. Okay. I think he'll be back. I feel like he will be be a buccaneer. Um the, the man was a captain. Every single player to a T talked about how he was the heart and soul of the defense when he went down. You saw the way the team rallied around him. The fans love him. I don't see honestly, I don't see a scenario where he doesn't come back. Now, as far as Deshaun Jackson's concerned, James, how many wide receivers appeared in championship weekend that have Deshaun Jackson type speed. One. One. I would say two. Who are you one? thinking? Tyreek Hill. Well, her, yeah, Tyreek Hill. Brandon Cooks. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. And how and, many of them are playing you know, the if Super he had, Bowl? If he had stayed with the team, I would have said Josh Gordon, but he's no longer with right. the Patriots. Two of the four teams that made it to the championship round of the playoffs have a guy with Deshaun Jackson type speed. One of the two teams playing the Super Bowl have a guy with Deshaun Jackson type speed. What does that tell you? What it tells you is you don't have to have a guy with Deshaun Jackson type speed to make it to the championship round or the Super Bowl in the National Football League. It helps. It can help, I'll say, but it is not necessary. Okay. Deshaun Jackson in 2018 had 13 plays of over 20, 20 yards or more. Chris Godwin had 10. All right. Mike Evans had 26. <laughs> Now, blows both of them out of the water is 40-plus, all right? Mike Evans had uh, six, right? So Deshaun Jackson had how many do we think? Because that's where the deep speed comes in, right? That's where his speed how many How many like, plays did Deshaun Jackson have of 40-plus yards? Yeah. So, so um, Mike Evans had six, and Deshaun Jackson's speed is so much better. How many do we think that he had? Four. See, James knows me way too well. He had five. Now, oh. granted, okay, Deshaun played 12 games. Mike played 16. Okay, so he had four more opportunities. But in four more games, how many plays of 40 or more yards do we really think Deshaun Jackson's going to get? Let's give him three. Three in four games, okay? Ooh, that's that's eight. generous. Yeah, that's that, that would be a lot. That's eight 40-plus yard plays. Tell me Mike Evans is as fast as Deshaun Jackson. Not even Never. a little bit. Not however, day. however, I'm going to throw this in here because I'm thinking about it. Uh-huh. Mike Evans also had as many interceptions, or no, he had more <laughs> interceptions than Brent Grimes this season, thanks to the Pro Bowl, because Mike yeah. Evans is a stud. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mike Evans definitely showing his his uh, his versatility there today. Um, second on the team in interceptions after that one. Yes. So, <laughs> so the point in all this stuff, right? is that you do not have to have Deshaun Jackson type speed on your roster to be successful. What you have to have is the ability to threaten a defense deep. Both do that. 
all right, you know, uh, plays downfield. Now, Deshaun Jackson's uh, yards per reception, blow him out of water. Listen, if you want a full rundown of Deshaun Jackson's numbers, go to BucksNation.com, search, bang for their bucks, and and read my article about Deshaun Jackson because I'm not dogging Deshaun Jackson. If you read that thing, you're going to realize that I actually don't really put as much blame into DJX as I did before I wrote it. Uh, it was an amazing journey. Anyway, but the point is this. All you have to do to threaten a defense deep is run deep. Um, all of these guys are NFL receivers. Chris Godwin can play deep. Uh, Chris Godwin can hit home runs. If you don't believe me, go watch his Penn State tape. And yes, he's playing against college kids. I don't care. What I'm talking about is his ability, what he can do. He can get up and down the field with the quickness and track the ball while he's doing it against another grown man pushing all his body weight up against him. Trust me, it can be done, and he's going to do it in 2019. So, do the Buccaneers need Deshaun Jackson? Absolutely not. Do they need O.J. Howard? Yes, they do. Because Tyreek Hill has the same dis- or disability, uh, disadvantage that Deshaun Jackson has, which is size. So, it's not Tyreek Hill's speed that makes him as effective as he is with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's A lot of it's coaching, right? But it's Travis Kelsey that makes him so effective. All right? You look at Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks with the Los Angeles Rams. There's a reason you didn't remember him right away. If you put a tight end like O.J. Howard, or you put a tight end like Travis Kelsey, or you put a tight end, even like Rob Gronkowski, with the Los Angeles Rams, I promise you Brandon Cooks is going to be so much more impactful with the Rams. But you see what happens on a team. You had Deshaun Jackson and O.J. Howard. Did Deshaun Jackson make O.J. Howard better? No. But you can definitely make a case saying that O.J. Howard's presence opens things up better for Deshaun Jackson. You saw it on some of those big plays early on in the season. Now, what ended up happening, and we've been through this a hundred times, is that coaches on the other side of the field said, oh, hey, look, guys, look what they're doing. They're, they're running O.J. up seams and through the middle to get our safety to Deshaun right behind them. Hey, safeties, stay back a little bit. And as soon as they did that, the Buccaneers coaching staff went, oh, man, they figured us out. Uh, we'll see what happens next year, guys. Right. All right. That's fair. Yeah, I was just I was just listening to your DJX argument. I'm thinking, well, how many tight ends are there that are like OJ Howard, you know, Kelsey, Ertz, Gronk when he's healthy? I mean, you and I ran down the list of, you know, tight ends better than OJ Howard, and I think I've kind of reached the I think I've reached the end of the list. Oh, Kittle. Yeah. All right. Well, David, we are way over on time. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get to any more voicemails. I know we have a few more. I know we have uh, you said we had a couple that are lined up for our Friday episode when we are going to dive in to the Super Bowl a little bit. And before we get out of here on uh, on the heels of this conversation about tight ends, here's my bold prediction. Are you ready for my first bold prediction of 2019? Sure. Cameron Brait will be playing for one of the teams in the Super Bowl in the 2019 season. Uh, that's gross. I'm not saying it's definitely the Patriots, but he will play for one of those two teams. But it might rhyme with Smatriots. Name the Rams tight end. Um, because whoa, everything I will say Evan Ingram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not him. Everything no, that you just not. said about Kelsey opening things up for Tyreek Hill – Tell me yeah. Cameron Bray wouldn't open up for Brandon Cooks. Yeah. They actually the Rams actually have some decent tight ends. They're just not they're not that level. They're but not yeah, Cam Bray. Right. Cam Bray in Los Angeles would be uh would definitely be a thing. 
that'd be a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, I, I, fans, I wouldn't. As long as OJ Howard stays healthy, I think they'll be all right. But that's my yeah. bold, first bold prediction of 2019. Cameron Brait in the 2019 season will be playing for one of the two teams that we are going to watch this Sunday in Atlanta. But until next time, make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. Send in your voicemails. Make fun of me for saying that Cameron Brate is going to be a Ram or a Patriot in the 2019 season. <laughs> Yell at me if you want to. Um, just make sure to keep it family friendly. You know, we want people to be able to listen to this in the cars with their children. But you can call in by uh, dialing up 813-444-5841. Thank you all so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. <laughs>